the new builds that have happened and uh, the shifts within what types of units are even in existence. Let's not even talk about being available. For example, in Montreal, the statistics are that 13% of the units are considered to be affordable, the ones that are on the market, and yet 20% of people in Montreal are in a class of people that needs those units. So basically at the bottom end of the market, you have this mismatch, right? Like we have 13% of the units available or affordable catering to 20% of the population. If there's this mismatch at the bottom, there's a mismatch at the top that's the opposite, right? So we have expensive units with a smaller percentage of people. And so like basically the vacancy rates across those different asset classes are not the same, right? So you're going to have lower vacancy rates at the bottom end of the market and higher vacancy rates at the higher end. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. What's the real power of leverage? People think real estate is all about leveraging capital. Money is important, but what about the decisions we make? The things we do and don't do determine our success as investors. Choices and actions create success. Before we get to the bank, we make choices guided by mindset and by the things we do and don't know. If we want to succeed as investors, we need to leverage knowledge. We need to increase what we know so our actions pay bigger dividends. Join host Terry Shower and Jean-Philippe Claude for conversations with leading experts in the real estate field. From mortgages to mindset and from macroeconomics to local market trends, grow your knowledge capital with us. Welcome to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast, where we seek advice to help us make better investing decisions. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast brought to you by Terry and Excel. Hi, Terry. Yeah. How are you today? <laughs> I'm great, Excel. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's do this. So we were obviously just talking a little bit before we started. There is so much happening right now. And Terry, you're just saying that you're in the midst of all, obviously the renewals are done for the most part and that you are seeing plenty of things. And so I'd love to get your pulse on the market. Like what are you seeing right now in terms of rentals? I think rather than give you just a snapshot of right this second, let's back the truck up maybe between the four to six months window, because I think that's going to give us a bit of backstory. If we look back in like, let's say October, November, December, usually that's the worst time of the year to have vacant units. So basically I can give you the statistical version and I can give you the anecdotal version. So, you know, I I kind of, (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, I I follow some of the rental data pretty closely of what's going on in Montreal and then in Quebec submarkets. And so basically through the last half of 2021, we were hovering a bit over 4% vacancy. That's really pretty high. You know, in my property management practice, what I observed is that especially in the higher end units, then ended up being problematic. And so like, let's say if I had a unit that was previously renting for 1450, 1500, those rents actually came down. So we were having to drop the price by like, you know, maybe $100, $150 a door just to get the unit rented. Some of that is a bit typical because like, let's say November, December is usually a pretty bad time to have rentals, but like this was even worse. And I would say it's not only like, you know what happens with pricing. It's also the quality of the tenants. And so what I noticed like on the back end of 2021 is that we had just a lot of bad files. 
So basically what I assumed was that people were getting either kicked out or evicted or having some kind of problem in the other place that they live. And then they were like looking to apply for our unit because they needed somewhere to live. And that's what I wanted to clarify. When you say bad files, you mean you had a visit and you had candidates. And when you actually went through, they were not particularly good tenants. Yeah. Consistently either previous issues at the rental board or else bad credit. And so like we ended up giving a pass on a lot of files, which then meant that the unit stayed vacant longer, even though we're having applications, like we weren't Mm -hmm. accepting those Mm -hmm. candidates. And then I would say in about December, the wind started to change a little bit. You know, my interpretation of that anecdotally is that some of the immigration and foreign students have started to come back actually on the ground rented to like a few you know new arrivals the units that we had that were empty actually went to mostly to new arrivals looking for places and then that just kind of feeds out into the rest of the market because as everything becomes tighter even the local people who are looking then end up applying as you know spring kind of heats up so i do have some hope for this rental season in that you know anecdotally what i'm seeing on the ground there's a better quality of candidates and it's taking less time to turn around and then if you also look just at the data, like basically the CMHC report on the rental market came out, I guess it's three weeks to a month. And they're calling Montreal as a balanced rental market at 3% vacancy now. And that was like at the end of the year. So as we're looking forward to July, I think things are going to start looking a bit better for us. us landlords. (laughs) uh, Yeah. And when you say it's going to pick up, it means that there's going to be more and more demand and uh, vacancy is going to decrease. Correct. So like basically what we would like to see is for the vacancy rate to decrease so that there's less vacant units on the market, which mm-hmm. then has upward pressure on rents yeah. and also means that we have more a possibility to select between the candidates we get. Because if you have a choice between two or three files, the chances that you actually find tenants you want to rent to is better. I just want to go back on something that you said that I feel is very important to point out for people listening because you said like, oh, well, sometimes like we kind of extended the vacancy even though we had applications. And I know it's a mistake I've made in the past to be like, okay, I I can't do another month. Too bad. I'll just take him. He's not the ideal. I have always regretted that choice. You know, and I'm sure you have some, maybe some horror stories or maybe not because your process is so robust, but like of don't fall for it. You're better off having one more month of vacancy than having a bad tenant for a year. You will regret it. That's absolutely true. I don't think I could have (laughs) said it better myself, you know, because there's the hard data, right? There's the credit check, there's the references, there's all that. And then there's, you know, sometimes you have a gut feeling or sometimes you like want to give somebody a chance. And pretty much every time I've made that call, I've ended up regretting it. But I'm going to just like share a quote with you. You know, my dad is also in business and he used to say to my brother and I, when we were kids, he used to say, hungry man eats poison. Yes. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's an apt description of what happens when you have a unit that's been vacant for a while. Maybe you invested some money into making it look nice and now you're desperate to rent it. My advice is wait for a good file because one additional month that you might get of rent coming in, if that person creates problems or if they destroy the unit or create some kind of damage, like you're going to just end up paying for that later on. So you're kicking Mm -hmm. the can down the road. I've been helping a friend since January who with his wife, they bought a house, they had a baby. And so he's renting out his condo and he helped me like, Hey, can you help me with the process? I'd love to. And I just told him whenever you have a good visit, send me the name and the email. I'll send you the coffee application. They can fill it up and you know, we'll do it amongst them. And he found someone who's like, she's great. She's perfect. She's a lawyer. She's going to be fantastic. And this and that. I'm like, okay, let's just fill out the application. The application comes back. 
she's not a lawyer. And then I'm like, okay, just with the application, we didn't even run a background check. There's already like holes in the story. We run the full background, two cases at La Régie in the last year and a half, unpaid. She was found guilty. I just reminded him like, this is why you do it. Don't say you're going to rent it to them. Just say, we'll walk you through the process. I will send you the documents so you, you share it with them because they pay for it and all that. And he was like, oh, but come on, come on. Like it's been empty for two months and just take your time, select the proper person anyways. And so now he found an amazing couple who just arrived in town and that was the dream rental. We've all made that mistake. Don't fall for it. Just wait. You're better off have an empty unit than a problematic one. Yeah, absolutely. If you want, we can talk a little bit also about some sub markets, right? Because what I've been talking about is basically Montreal. Obviously, outside of Montreal, I have a little bit less personal experience to share. But as I went through that CMHC rental report, what -hmm. I can tell you is the vacancy rate in the suburbs of Montreal is around 1%. Wow. That means a lot, though. That means, no, it means a lot. That's incredible. Yeah. Especially Laval is apparently a very tight market. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, an interesting data point for those kind of units. And I'm starting to acquire some buildings in Trois-Rivières. So I'm a little bit familiar also with what's going on in the rental market there. Apparently their their rental market is super tight and it's the uh, Quebec urban center that has the fastest progressing rents. Oh, wow. Yeah. But let's not forget that it was so low already. I mean, people were still paying 350 for a four and a half downtown. So, but yes, I'm not surprised. No, absolutely. But I mean, the buildings are priced as a function of that, right? So if one's looking at a place where there's like kind of an interesting, you know, spread between building values and current rents and where the rents are going, it's just interesting to note that that's a fast progressing center. Mm-hmm. So do you remember roughly what was the vacancy rate over there? Look, I don't remember offhand. I don't want to say something silly. Like I want to say around somewhere around 2%. But what I did retain is the progression of the rents, which means that like vacant units there are renting for a lot more than occupied units. And it just means there's just a lot of demand and that's going to be favorable for the next couple of years. That's actually great also for buildings and the Parc Immobilier. It's going to get more attention. It's going to get more maintenance. It's going to be valued higher. It's going to attract investors. Okay. So we talked a little bit about Montreal. You said Laval and there's been a lot of demand for suburban cities. Uh, Do you know anything about Sherbrooke and Quebec City? Look, I'm less familiar with those markets and because I don't have any holdings there, I kind of watch those less closely. But what I retained on the general Quebec market is that it seems to be slightly unbalanced on the landlord side. I think Montreal had one of the highest vacancy rates around 3% and the rest of the province was below three, which means that it's a landlord's market, not a tenant's market in terms of rents. And rent progression, I think, you know, consistently across the province was looking like it's, you know, sort of trending upwards towards the end of 2021. And enhance also the the importance of having immigration come back because often you know, foreigners and new immigrants into town arriving in Quebec will come and settle in Montreal before they go somewhere else. So hopefully that will also help with some of the inventory that's on the market right now. I think that's an assumption that we had a little while ago, right? Like the assumption that immigrants automatically transition through Montreal, I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. Like I certainly know in Trois-Rivières, there's with the, the university and the CIGEP there, there is actually a base of foreigners coming in. And I've heard the same thing. I, I'm less familiar, but I've heard the same thing with Sherbrooke, particularly centering like around the universities, but then that attracts the people as students. And then they will often after that find work there. And then it yeah. creates these communities that then build on themselves, right? Because like a lot of immigrant communities, for example, like people from Maghreb or even like some African or Latino communities, like where there is a small center that then yeah. tends to attract other people who join that community, basically. That's a very good point. It's true. I kind of make that assumption that people first come and settle in Montreal and then they'll go somewhere else, but maybe it's not valid anymore. 
It'd be yeah. interesting to look at the stats on that. We talked about the different markets, like geographically. Do you see anything happening with regards to markets in terms of asset class, like one bedrooms, two bedrooms, three bedrooms? Like, what do you get a lot of demand for right now? I wouldn't necessarily be able to separate it out by size of unit, but I would separate it out by low end, middle end, high end. And I'm also like familiar, like by cross-referencing some of the other statistics, what I'm able to see is that vacancy rates are higher, the higher up the market you get. So for example, you know, condos, units that are, let's say priced over $1,200, like even just anecdotally at our agency, we're seeing like not very much demand for those units, but our units that are considered to be affordable. So let's say in the $1,000 and under range, we don't have issues renting those. Like those things are going, we have a constant stream of visitors, whereas the more expensive units, we're trying to drum up interest, but the interest is not there necessarily. Someone recently told me like, no, no, I saw the real estate market. It's, prices are coming down. Well, what are you talking about? It's like, yeah, I saw a house listed in Westmount and it went from 5 million to four and a half. And I was like, that's not representative of the market. Forget it. As you said, like, I'm not surprised The very high end right now is might be a little bit under the weather. It's not just it being under the weather. It's that there is... um. So again, like I said, you know, I like to kind of cross-reference my statistics. The new builds that have happened and uh, the shifts within what types of units are even in existence. Let's not even talk about being available. For example, in Montreal, the statistics are that 13% of the units are considered to be affordable, the ones that are on the market. And yet 20% of people in Montreal are in a class of people that needs those units. So basically at the bottom end of the market, you have this mismatch, right? Like we have 13% of the units available or affordable catering to 20% of the population. If there's this mismatch at the bottom, there's a mismatch at the top. That's the opposite, right? So we have expensive units with a smaller percentage of people. And so like basically the vacancy rates across those different asset classes are not the same, right? So you're going to have lower vacancy rates at the bottom end of the market and higher vacancy rates at the higher end. Well, it's a really good point. Yeah. And you've been able to see those stats from the business and from the demand you're getting? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, how could I say? I like to play a amateur uh, economist, right? So like anytime there's any kind of rental data or uh, reporting that comes out, I, I'm all over that. The mm-hmm. CMHC rental market report is obviously a great source of, of that information, but there's also rentals.ca. I think there's even another website that I'm not going to remember now comes out with their own rental statistics. And so if you kind of read those reports together, Together and then cross-reference the statistics, you're able to put together that portrait of what's going on, right? By looking at, you know, what's happening in different market segments. And like, for example, you take the data from rentals.ca, like rentals.ca skews very high. People don't tend to advertise low-end units on that site. It's That's more a of a high-end site. Creates a bias. Exactly. And so it's going to show you like more of what's the vacancy rate that they're aware of in the high segment and what are Mm -hmm. the average rent prices there. I've looked at the uh, rentals.ca report and I find it's really good to kind of put Montreal and Quebec on the Canadian playing field, but it doesn't really drill down at the uh, provincial level or the city level. It just kind of helps to see like, you know, how does Montreal gauge versus some other large cities in the country? Yeah, well, that's where the CMHC data is very interesting because it's like whatever, a hundred page report and it goes through really like most of the urban centers and you're going to be able to like see a more fine grained look at some of that data. 
And of course, we encourage you all to go find those reports, educate yourself on the rentals that you have. So as Terry, what do you suggest that they use in terms of getting some information on rentals? Well, I mean, those two sources are pretty good. Obviously, I don't want to, you know, <laughs> don't want to uh, toot our own horn. But, uh, you know, I think the resource of the podcast or like some of the other stuff, we tend to digest some of that stuff and then spit it out again. But definitely, if you're looking at like a bigger analysis, go download the CMHC report, go on rentals.ca, and that's going to give you sort of an overview. I'm like, what I find really interesting is that the journalists are so often wrong. Like, I don't know what they base themselves on, but if you see an article in La Presse or the Gazette or like Bloomberg or whatever it is, I don't know if it's because they're referencing Toronto. I don't know if it's because they're pulling the data out of their minds as opposed to what's actually happening. But very often, you know, like I, I still read like a lot of articles that talk about la crise du logement à Montréal. Yeah, like yeah. there's not a crise du logement. A 3% vacancy rate is a balanced rental market. If yeah. you want to talk about the fact that there's not enough affordable housing, like then you can have that conversation. Yeah. But like it's on a very specific segment of the rental market. Don't refer to la presse or or whatever's written like in uh, sort of the more conventional media. Go find the data yourself because something with the reporting is not doing the cross-checking that should be done. I couldn't agree more with you. And all I'm going to say is that let's not forget that this fall we had a local election and it was very favorable to talk about this for the different parties. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Now, on this wonderful note, um, thank you everyone for listening in. Please share it with a friend, subscribe, send us some feedback. Often with Terry, we meet and to discuss like planning our future episodes and we'd love to get some questions from you. So don't hesitate to reach out to either Terry and I, and we'll make sure to answer those questions in future episodes. In the meantime, thank you very much. And we will talk to you again next week. Ciao, ciao. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe, and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.